welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. So, you know, you took, you mentioned your experience there. How did you end up on the edge of that cliff, mate? Let's rewind a little bit there, if you don't mind me. Asking. Well, well, when I got, when, when I got there, it was the end of it. I'd been living in Marbella for two years. So I'd built a successful business, made a lot of money, um, made a lot of enemies, lost a lot of friends, did everything that a lot of men would do to make, to build a successful business, which is just trample over everybody on your way up. Sacrifice all of your hobbies, sacrifice your health. In my case, sacrifice my mental health. The only way I knew how to unwind was by boozing and sniffing coke. Um, stop training, stop working out, put five stone on. Um, and that was kind of went into a tailspin essentially. I kept having these little meltdowns living in Marbella. While I was there, I got diagnosed ADD and then I got diagnosed with depression. And then eventually they diagnosed me bipolar. And they said, they basically said, my wife was like, I can't take this. We had a two year old son, newborn baby, and me. And we didn't know anyone. We didn't really have any friends there. So it was like, right, we're going to have to move back to England. And then when I got back to England, nothing really changed that much. I had access to doctors and shrinks and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I was probably started drinking more and sniffing more because I had, it was easier to get access to it. It was easier to go to the, to go to the shop and get booze. It was easier to go and sit in a pub rather than yeah. in Spain. It's a little bit of a different culture that. Um, so yeah, it was. And then obviously December, 2014, that was the, the time where I was like, I've had enough of this shit. I, I don't want to feel like this anymore. I can't, I can't handle it. No one gets it. All of those fucking bullshit stories. And then someone, I get this comment almost every day. Why was your wife there? Was she levitating or something? I'm like, don't be a funny cunt, mate. But my wife was there because she used to, almost every time I left the house, she'd follow me because I was so volatile that she never knew what I was going to do. So she'd follow me. My, my son would be at school. My daughter would be in the back of the car and she'd just drive around and follow me to make sure that I didn't do anything stupid. During my teenage years, I think I, I became more and more unwell and was doing more and more that was making myself unwell, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um. But then like finding crochet was that thing that just kind of like stopped it and turned it around and I was like oh I don't actually have to go and do all that stuff it's and for the first time I think I actually realized how nice it was just to like feel calm and content (laughs) like and I realized how nice that was not having those like really big ups and downs all the time just like finding more of a balance in my life and it really helped me with that yeah yeah that's a lovely way to see it because it's so hard isn't it to just just to sit in the moment, you know, like we can't even wait in a queue in Asda anymore without having to whip your phone out. And, you know, yeah. like but before phones, like we just waited for stuff and it, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> you know, It was it was yeah. all right. But we've almost lost that that skill, even in those small moments. So then, of course, we've lost it in the big moments. Right. So, yeah, but just something about being able to sit with yourself 
And when that's uncomfortable, we do tend to look, we're very externally focused, aren't we, as a species? You know, again, society's yeah. built for that. We're always looking for the stuff. I did that for a long time. I chased, I, was, I just thought if I keep reading these books, if I keep listening to these podcasts, if I keep trying this and doing that, eventually I'll find this thing that is going to make me feel like well again. And, you know, it wasn't wasn't there. And it was only once I like reversed it and started drilling down into, into me and tried to find that piece that that's only when I started to even, you know, get anywhere near finding it, but it's hard to do, isn't it? It's hard to sit in your own space for lengths of time. You have to learn how to do it. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. It takes practice. Like I think that was the thing for me where I still kind of look back and think, how did I do that? Because when I first sort of came out of hospital, that was when I, I think I really knew that I had to change something because like, I'd just been like sectioned against my will. So it was quite like an extreme situation. Like, you know, I always thought there was something a bit wrong, I suppose, but I didn't expect for it to go that wrong. Like I didn't expect, I didn't even know what psychosis was when I became unwell. So having that, I I guess it forced me to be like, right, you have to do something. Otherwise this is like, it would have just been going back in hospital and like, getting more and and that reoccurring like so finding that thing yeah like I said it's I I still look back and I'm like how did I stick at it because it was hard like especially because I wasn't very good at it but I think I was just uh, and I was just really lucky because I had like a lot of people to around me to say like I think you could be good at this like carry on at it do you know what I mean so I think I think that kind of helps as well like you need you need like uh, a bit of everything to get better I suppose yeah very much so a lot of it I think comes down to there just comes there's got to comes a point where you just think do you know what I like you said I need to break this cycle I need to yeah. I just I'm just gonna gonna back myself you know that's how I felt it's like I'm gonna back myself because I never have I never I've never done it and I'm gonna yeah. do it I'm gonna I'm gonna try and that sounds like such a small thing and people who haven't experienced it would probably say well that's a bit unusual way to think about yourself but when you've like been through something it is like learning to to trust yourself and back yourself and have that faith to I'm just going to just have a go at something because it might help. That's it's quite a big step for us. It's a small thing, but it's, it's quite a big step, isn't it? That is so true. It is like, you really do have to like believe in yourself because if you don't like it's, you're just going to get even more stuck. And like, I think for a long time, I kind of got so used to like disliking myself, like making a joke out of like my mental health almost like, yeah like using that as a way of coping and then I suddenly realized you know what if I keep like talking about myself and believing all this stuff about myself I'm just gonna again like not nothing's gonna get better for me like it's just gonna keep getting worse and I think going back to crochet like that learning that and knowing oh I can do something I can learn something I can gain a skill that made such a big difference for me like that gave me so much confidence when I really needed it how did it come about that you started talking about out these things was it something you set out to do was it an opportunity that presented itself um it was more an opportunity that presented itself there's there's a there's a salutary lesson coming up, so brace yourself. Um, like, you know, I, I have um, family members who've had issues with mental health um, and friends and this kind of thing. So it's obviously something I've sort of 
been aware of as an issue that's worth addressing. And to the extent that I thought about it in any analytical terms in the olden days, you know, the old adage about how mental health is just another form of health and it should be the same as discussing your mental health should be the same as discussing your fitness or your uh, whether or not you've hurt your knee or whatever. Do you know what I mean? It's like the, the, this, there's a weird stigma around it and it would benefit us all if we could work towards dis, you know, dispelling that, which incidentally I think we are doing. I mean, let's not say that we're there, but it's certainly if I look at how people talk about mental health now versus when I started in just in the music industry, I mean, it's like unbelievably different in, in a positive way. But yeah, so I, and, and I think initially somebody approached me and asked if I'd be interested in, in, um, using my platform to, to forward uh, their cause or the, the, the cause in question. And and I said yes, because I try and to the extent that anybody's foolish enough to pay attention to what I have to say about anything, I might as well try and use that to, to, to um, forward something, uh, at least occasionally something more interesting than I have a new album out. Um, so, you know, so I, I started talking about it. Um, and um, I got quite good at, you know, this is going somewhere. I got quite good at kind of like learning my lines, you know, and saying the things that you're supposed to say about how, um, uh, you know, the, the hardest part is the first conversation and about how, you, you know, sharing a problem is is vitally important. And there are trained professionals who do this and who can help you and all this sort of thing. And whilst all this was going on, I was actually cooking up some mental health problems of my own about which I was privately being just as kind of reticent and for want of a better term, male, as, as any of the people that I was sort of hypothetically criticizing. Um, so I wasn't talking to him about it, and I wasn't doing anything about it, and I was pushing it away, and I was pushing it down. Um, and this chief um, symptom was substance abuse. I had a major substance abuse issue for a long time, although, of course, as with most people with substance abuse issues, that was a symptom rather than a cause. Um, and I didn't really talk to anyone about it, and I didn't share, and I didn't go to any kind of rehab or any kind of therapy. Um, and I think that for a long time I operated on the principle that music was therapy enough for me, and that if I was having a rough time, I would just listen to The Clash again, or Aretha Franklin again, or whatever it might be, and then that would solve my problems. And um, I had a series of kind of revelatory moments many of which are linked with my now wife who I'd met at the time and who took one look at me and went, Jesus Christ. Um, and, uh, um, and who is also a trainee counseling psychologist right now. She's doing a doctorate. So is well versed in, in the world of mental health. And, um, so there were a couple of things, I mean, recognizing that I had a problem, uh, was the, was of course the first step as it always is. That's the cliche, but it's true. Um, and then kind of I think one of the big understandings for me was the understanding that whilst music may be a necessary component of my mental um, health toolkit, it's not sufficient in and of itself. Um, and that actually I could benefit from some professional help. And then there was I don't I'm just I don't know if pride is exactly the right word, but like I'm mean, pride was certainly a component of it. I was raised in quite a stiff upper lip family where you don't talk about your problems. Then I got into Henry Rollins style hardcore punk where you don't talk about your problems. Um, and I just wasn't really kind of like culturally predisposed to talk about my feelings. And it was also ironic, and I was sort of dimly becoming aware that it was ironic, given all of the things I'd been saying in public about mental health on behalf of mental health charities up to this point. And there was this moment when I really had to like suck it up and take some of my own advice. How important is the sexuality of your therapist? Because so many people don't, 
connect with therapy because maybe they um, haven't found the, the right therapist for them or a therapist that has an academic understanding of what they're going through, but not a lived experience of what they're going through. And I was just wondering if that, um, if that plays a part. Well, I was lucky enough to be paired with um, someone who, who was a gay man as well. And we both have very similar upbringings, both from regional towns. And so I found it really useful actually, because he could relate to everything that I was saying. And, and with LGBT people, there are a lot of nuances in the upbringing and, and the experiences that we go through that um, it is more of a shorthand when you are also from that kind of experience. So it does really help. And we also spoke to um, actually someone called Will, who is an assistant psychologist from the NHS. And we asked the question, whether you know it's mandatory training that people have are taught about lgbtq issues um and it is dependent on the the clinician's um preference really there's nothing mandatory in there so not everyone will be paired with someone who is you know going to mm -hmm. be um well versed in, in in those areas um i know for me it definitely was useful and i think for a lot of other people it would be useful as well because um, I think in a lot of our traumas, there are, there are um, it is kind of connected to people who aren't from the LGBTQ plus community. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Um, so you never know what's going to be triggered by the type of person that you're connected with. Um, the amazing thing with the NHS and, and other therapies is that you, you do have a choice at the end of the day and you can move on if you aren't connecting or you aren't gelling. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, very much. So we tend to like um, everything we think we take for granted that because we've thought it, it's gospel. <laughs> you yeah. know? And sometimes you can make really big decisions based on thoughts that just simply aren't true. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. I think the realization that you are not your thoughts is such a simple thing. And it's a classic Instagram meme, right? You are not your thoughts. But once you realize what that actually means and you really recognize that you are the awareness and actually that those thoughts are running around in your head and you can take a step back and you can say, um, I'm not those thoughts I, I have the ability to say I'm not going to entertain those thoughts it's hugely powerful and it's a work in progress you know I still I still call myself out on it when I'm, I'm running away with stories in my head and I have to say well, like I'm entertaining that I'm going to be quiet now because that's not good enough but it can be transformative um, the other thing as well like self-compassion is, is associated in, when we're looking at nutrition and body image self-compassion is associated with um, improved relationships with food reduced disordered eating reduced emotional eating and um, it's improved it's associated with improved diet success it's improved improved body image self-compassion is incredible and so that's something again that I'll work with clients on you know little things like how you talk to yourself and um, speaking to yourself kindly would you say this to your best friend these kind of really basic techniques all the way up to um some of my clients will write themselves like letters loving letters to themselves nice, that, yeah. yeah that can be really really helpful and when I run a workshop or something I usually put that into the workshop and it makes people really realize just how horrifically they talk to themselves and you know, if you talk to yourself like crap, you treat yourself like crap because you think that you are crap.
a big up to the proper mental podcast. A proper mental podcast.